Drinks, food, art, fun. This is Hops and Spirits, Kentucky. I hope you enjoyed our latest road trip stop last week as we headed to Myrtle Beach and Crooked Hammock Brewing. It's been fun talking to all these places, just slightly or maybe a little further beyond the borders here in the Commonwealth, but all places that I think we uh, Kentuckians uh, might be visiting at some point or would like to visit. Got a great episode for you this week as we talk with Locust Grove, but first, what's pouring some news and notes around Kentucky First up, a new food truck is hitting the scene in Lexington. Brian Bear, co-owner of the Bear and the Butcher, shared that Bear's Chicken Shack will soon be on the streets. Foodies can expect fried chicken, waffle fries, homemade biscuits, and milkshake. A staple Louisville spot is expanding into New Lou. Wick's Pizza plans to open this fall at 811 East Market Street, next door to the Taj Bar, and is keeping things very simple. Hole by the Slice Pizza and Beer will be the only items on the menu at this spot. The inaugural New Lou Summer Festival debuts Saturday, July 22nd. The free event will take place along the main stretch of East Market Street, and there will be live music, food, drinks, and family-friendly activities. NewLou.org slash summer for more information. The Summer Beer Fest at the Fraser is set for Saturday, July 29th, with more than 200 beers on tap in front of this history museum on Main Street in Louisville. The event is ticketed, and more details can be found at FraserMuseum.org. Graders Ice Cream is celebrating National Ice Cream Month with sweet reward member deals all month long because, as we know, when it's hot, it's time for a little ice cream to cool us down. All Grader Sweet Rewards members will receive a $1.53 single-dip sugar sugar cone offer redeemable once throughout the month of July. Non-members can become Sweet Rewards members during the month and also receive the offer. And Grader's Annual Coloring Contest is back this month where stores will reward completed entries with a free kids' sugar cone. Guests can get a coloring sheet at participating shops or they can download it online at graders.com slash coloring dash contest. Rules and more details are on the coloring sheet itself. In northern Kentucky, Newport on the Levee's yet-to-open food hall has announced that three of its four spots have been filled. Galley on the Levee, a micro-food hall and bar intended to open later this fall, will feature Los Tacos Hermanos, Four Mile Pig, and Zaria Italian Eats upon opening. Its fourth space is still available at this time. And don't forget, it's Louisville Burger Week. Through Sunday, July 23rd, it features $7 burgers from 40-plus restaurants, and participants can download the mobile app to complete to compete for prizes. And also, I hope you get to try those, and if you were in the Lexington area, I hope you got to try It's Burger Week that just wrapped up here on Sunday. Up next, though, is our Q&A with Locust Grove in Louisville. Enjoy this trip into history. Remember to check out Hops and Spirits on social media at Hop Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also find Hops and Spirits on YouTube and at HopSpirits.com. Joining us here for our Q&A this week, they're from Locust Grove, which you'll learn is a pretty cool historical site here in Kentucky. We have Carol Ely, who's the executive director for Locust Grove, and Brian Cushing, a distillery consultant for the uh, farm distillery project out there. Welcome in. Thank you. Thanks. Glad to be here. And and, and I appreciate you all talking because we do fun things on, on this show. We talk, you know, whether it's boozy related, food related, art fun. And I, I think this has a nice combination of, of all of that. And and before we dive deep into that, I call this the Cliff Notes version, the Cliff Notes, just a little bit about yourselves, not too much, because I've got plenty of questions to ask. Okay. 
Brian, you want to go first? Or? Oh, sure. Uh, well, I'm, I'm here because I'm the former program director uh, from Historic Locust Grove and was involved with the distillery project and still work with them. I'm also the uh, the executive director of the Shelby County Historical Society, the owner of Victorian Productions, uh, where we uh, produce the Victorian Barroom, both on YouTube uh, and in person. And I have been uh, an apprentice in an apple orchard uh, for the past three years, aspiring to have my own. <laughs> And I'm the executive director of Historic Locust Grove. I've been here for almost 20 years now, which is really astonishing to me. Um, but it's been a place that I can use my uh, interest in public history. Uh, I have a PhD in American history, but my interest has always been in public history, in a place that really interacts with, with people and not just academia. So Locust Grove is going to great place to figure out new and better ways to talk about the past with the general public. Well, and, and I was going to say for, for both of you, obviously, there's clearly a love of history there. Where, where does that love of history come from? I, it's sort of in my DNA, I think. Uh, I've always been curious. And being able to ask questions about people's lives and their motivations and why they do what they do and what they know and what they don't know it's it's just fascinating to me you know i have always been intrigued by the idea that the people who lived in the past were like us in the sense that they don't know what comes next you know you make decisions based on the information you have available to you and based on your personality and you don't know how it's going to work out and so that contingency aspect of history is really fascinating. Also, I think like Brian, I like the stuff. I like the material remains. I like the buildings and the furniture and the objects that people created. So that's that's intriguing to me. Yeah, I think for me it was it was similar. It's when when history became something that was a live a, li a living, breathing, tangible thing where real lives were lived. I think that's when it became inseparable from who I was. Um, and so a lot of times when I when I think about history, I, I'm not always necessarily thinking in the context of headlines, but of just life in general. Um, which you know, for the distillery project at Locust Grove, that was that really let that was a part where I got to fully indulge that part of myself. Um, of really making something live and breathe again. Well, and 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 you, you both touched on this multiple times. You know, Locust Grove is a living, breathing historical site, uh, but, but it's a little bit more than that. Can you explain what Locust Grove is? Well, Locust Grove is literally fifty-five acres of land with uh, fourteen buildings on it in uh, the East End of Louisville. It was a farm that was started in the 1790s by a man named William Cron that most people have not heard of William Cron. He uh, was distinguished in his day, but because he didn't have a political career, his name is, is not so widely known, but he was a surveyor who had served in the American Revolution under Washington. And he um, uh, provided a home to his brother, general brother-in-law, General George Rogers Clark, and it's Clark's fame that saved Locust Grove. It continued to be a farm until the 1960s, and it was preserved then by the state and by Jefferson County, not one by Louisville Metro. 
as a place initially to talk about Clark and his accomplishments, but since then we have much broadened the story to talk about life in Louisville in that period, to talk about the Cron family, generations of the Cron family, and especially recently to talk about the enslaved community here, which was numbered at any one time probably about 40 individuals, but over time uh, included at least 100 people. So that research is very exciting and ongoing. So we offer programs to the public from um, weekend festival events like the Antiques Fair we just had to our 18th century market fair that comes up in the fall. We have lectures and concerts and daily tours and tours from the viewpoint of the enslaved population here as well. So there's a lot, lot going on. Well, and it, it's a cool, cool thing to see. And 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 for you, Carol, what is your kind of day to day role there, and and kind of your role just in general there as the executive director? Uh, a bit of everything, but <laughs> um, lately, as our staff has grown, uh, it's more about managing the these great individuals that we have working here. You know, we, Brian's leaving left a hole that we've just recently started to try to be able to fill. We'll never be able to replace Brian, but, uh, you know, we have um, great staff. So when I first came, there were three people on the full-time staff. There's eight now. So it's learning to delegate and just keeping a kind of a hand on the tiller to make sure that the course that we're steering is still uh, accurate in history, exciting to the public, and tells the full range of stories. So some of that involves fundraising, some of that involves um, actual program development, but uh, a lot of that is fortunately now done by some really great people we have on the staff. And, and Brian, like she said, you're, you're you're formally part of that staff, but kind of I don't think you will ever go go away from from being part part of that. But what was it like oh, working there at, at Locust Grove and being able to to do the things you did as program manager and working with the Farm Distillery Project and so many things? In a lot of ways, it was a dream come true for me. I'd been involved with Locust Grove since I was 17 as a volunteer. I showed up in 1999, um, and I never thought that that was going to take shape for me, literally until the moment Carol offered me the first phase of that job. Um, I'd been on a, a contract, and I literally thought it was just a debriefing session. It's like, well, that's done, moving on. And <laughs> so that, that was a really great thing uh, to be able to be a part of that, not just as a volunteer, but as a um, uh, as a job. And so I think that my favorite things that I worked with, uh, the core of my job was interpretive programming. And so um, I got to really dig in and figure out a lot of things that I was already into, you know, as far as historic trades. Um, I was, uh, I managed the uh, the first person interpreter program, uh, which I also developed. And um, so it was, it was really great to do that. There was, there was a lot of, you know, extra stuff that has to be done because there's a, there's, there's a whole range of things that goes into running a historic site that you wouldn't think of it has nothing to do with history at all um but the fact that uh that that was the core of it for me um was was really a dream come true uh agonizing choice uh to move on but like you say i, I don't think i'll ever fully have moved on from there well and, and you're still in the world world of history with all the different roles that you have that you kind of mentioned there at the start and and carol one of the big things that we were talking about today is the the farm distillery project because this is hops and spirits kentucky the distillery can make you know spirits back in the day can you tell us how that kind of came to be uh there at at the site 
Yeah, there was a discussion, I think, at a board meeting or after a board meeting. And at that time, Susan Riegler was on our board. She's a historian of bourbon, a great speaker and advocate for, for Kentucky's bourbon history. Uh, she served on our board and uh, she mentioned the concept of farm distilleries and the idea that the roots of the bourbon industry were in these small farm establishments. And so we kicked the idea around a little bit and we thought about it. We had a outbuilding we weren't really using, a very small cabin that was probably a garden shed, originally log structure. We thought, hmm, maybe this would be a place we could demonstrate farm distilling. So we started to do more research on the history of distilling. And Brian, were you on the staff at that point already? I was either on or coming on because I okay. remember starting to hear about it and not thinking it would happen anytime in the, in the near future. Well, yeah, it was it was a great concept, but mm -hmm. what really made it take off was when Sally Van Winkle Campbell joined our board and Sally took it on herself to raise the money. And she had a great idea to approach the families who involved in distilling historically, you know, the Brown family and other representatives of some of the old families. So rather than going to the corporations, we went directly to the individuals and she got a tremendous response. She helped us raise enough money to restore the building, to uh, order a still made by Vendome on along the lines of George Washington's stills. So we were able to craft a plan to create a farm distillery. Now, uh, we were doing research at the same time, and we knew that William Cron's farm included orchards, included fields of grain, and was also a place that neighboring farmers could bring things to be processed at his mill. So with the mill, the grain, the orchards, he would absolutely been distilling. You know, he, the distillery probably would have been near the mill, which is on land that is not now part of Locust Grove, although we know where it was. So the building that we've reconstructed is not where the distillery would have been. We know that, and we tell people that it would have been uh, near a source of running water, which is uh, we've had to pipe in water. It's you know, a, li a little Disneyland, but um, nonetheless, we did some research and we discovered that William Cron had purchased a still in 1808. So we that added more evidence that we were correct in reconstructing a distillery. So at the same time, I guess Brian was joining the staff and with his interest in historic trades and crafts, he seemed to be the perfect person to become our master distiller. And I guess Brian could probably take it from there and describing the process of learning about this. Uh, yeah, so that, that was, uh, and I guess I, I can't really, master distiller is flattering uh, to me. <laughs> uh, I never really well, it's master distiller. <laughs> yeah, um, but no, that, that was really neat because I mean, I knew, uh, obviously I appreciated whiskey. I knew what it was. I had a vague idea of the history of it, um, but I wasn't even somebody who really did distillery tours a lot. And so I was, I was kind of really getting in on just the ground floor of that. Uh, but the advantage I think I had was I didn't have bad habits to break from, um, you know, from having been in an industrial modern distillery or something like that. And so I literally learned to make whiskey from Steve Bayshore at Mount Vernon. Um, Melissa Alexander was a volunteer with us who was on that committee at the time, and she made contact with them. And lo and behold, Steve invited us out for a few days. Um, so it was literally three days on the ground there at Mount Vernon, um, 
making whiskey and that was that was the first time I'd ever made whiskey and so that was my first uh impression of it and that was great and Steve has just been wonderful ever since and he um he even came out for our opening uh of the farm distillery and spent the weekend with us um and yeah and so and from there there was um a couple other distilleries, Spirits of French Lick and Kentucky Artisan Distillery. No, not Kentucky Artisan, but um, they helped us out later. Uh, it was Wilderness Trail um, hosted us for training. Uh, so we got kind of a broad range of, of all that. And then beyond the still itself, uh, for all of the gear and stuff that we needed, all the tools, we researched what that was. A lot of that, you know, we, we got a good idea of that from Mount Vernon since uh, they were a distillery, different idea. They were actually an industrial operation for the day rather than just a farm operation. But we were able to get a good idea of what the tools were and really benefit from their research. And so we made a, a real effort to engage local craftsmen, uh, historic tradesmen, uh, most of which we knew from our 18th century market fair uh, to, to produce all that stuff. So it wasn't uh, it wasn't mass produced stuff. We had uh, two different uh, historic blacksmiths helped us out. Aubrey Williams and Mick Kane, uh, Jay Henderson and Tracy Garland did all the pottery. Uh, Rudy McKinney did the woodwork, you know, all these people uh, from our community that uh, we'd already known did this work just like it would have been done back then. You know, artisans from uh, either from the farm or from that community. Well, it, it's a cool story to to, to hear and, and just kind of have that. And when folks get to go visit that and see that, what can they expect? Well, we've had a variety of things go on there. We um, the the full experience involves doing a, a mash of uh, for whiskey, or I think we did brandy one time mm -hmm. too, where we go through the whole process of uh, heating the water, taking a wooden barrel. Uh, putting the the uh, mash recipe with the water, stirring it endlessly, um, letting it cool. Uh, we go through the beginning of fermentation. Uh, I think we've done it when we've done it over two days. You can really start to see the results of the fermentation. And while we have a still, we do not have a license to distill. And so we're demonstrating the process. So we show how condensation happens in the still, but it's it's water. I'm, I'm being brutally honest here. Uh, there may come a day when we can get the permits and when OSHA will let us run this as a, as a going operation. But we've been uh, fortunate that some of our partners in the distilling community, if you could call it that, have taken the mash and then distilled it. So we can say this was mashed at Locust Grove, even if it wasn't distilled at Locust Grove. So it's really about educating people about the process and that this is a natural thing that went on on a farm, just like dairying or baking or any of the other things that take raw materials and make them into food or drink for humans or animals. It's it's all part of the same ecosystem in a way. And so that that's the full experience. And Brian has come and, and led that for us, brought some of his friends and associates, Spirits of French Lick and other places have, have come and they've helped. We also um, show off the distillery in a program we have called Unfolding the Story, which is an interactive tour led by actors in the role of Alfred and Louisa, who are uh, members of the enslaved community at Locust Grove. So the actors inhabit those roles and they show various parts of the property, including the distillery. So Alfred, who is in our telling of the story, a distillery worker, can uh, show the tools, explain the process, talk about how he learned it and so forth, but it's not an actual mash. And uh, our our whole process here was interrupted by by COVID and by 
um, Brian's leaving. And so we've started working with uh, some other possibilities for how we can do regular demos at the distillery. We've been working with um, Andrea Merriweather, who's uh, worked a lot with the community, uh, the bourbon community, on telling the stories of Black distilling, uh, because there was a strong role for enslaved people in distilling from creating some of the original products to doing the actual labor of stirring and mashing and distilling and so forth. So uh, Andrea's got some interns coming, and we're hoping that that can kind of kickstart the program anew. Uh, I'm talking too long, but whenever you come to Locust Grove, you can see the distillery. You just may not see it in action. Yeah, that, that, that is awesome. And, and, and Brian, what's it like to kind of see it come to life again from, from your perspective where you got to learn it and kind of showcase it? Like you said, you guys can't go do the full, full thing. Uh, you know, unfortunately those lovely, uh, liquor laws <laughs> across, across America, uh, that, uh, you know, make things a little, a little bit and difficult. And they are not designed for 18th century style establishments. <laughs> Some people didn't get the memo, the prohibition ended. Yeah. <laughs> it's just for me, it's, um, it's, it's real living a real part of the past because when I'm down there doing it, we nothing, nothing's for show. Nothing's fake. We're doing it all real. Um, we're not just putting grain in a barrel. And um, so you see what grain in a barrel and water looks like. Uh, we're doing all the temperatures correctly. We're introducing everything at the right time. We're, we're managing it correctly. And, and like Carol said, uh, the neat thing is when we've been doing this over the course of a couple of days, um, we, we we haven't yeasted it, but it's a really good feeling when you get up in the morning, even after it's been cold out, and the wild yeast in the air has very actively started fermenting that mash. And then you know you did it right. You know, you know that you know that's a real feeling of victory. And I don't know if you thought of this when we were setting up the distillery, Brian, but it's right near a grape arbor. And so the yeast from the grapes may have helped us with yeah. the distilling process. And that's that's consistent. You know, when we've done it for real, like I say, even when it's been colder overnight than I think it should have worked. Yeah, that, that yeast from the grapes is presumably um, really kicks it off. And I would love to plan it one day to where we could actually we, we could we could really start the fermentation that way it would be a risk um and then send it off and, and have it finished off but like i say that's got to be done at another facility um kentucky artisan distillery was helping us out with that for a while they're just up in crestwood kentucky uh stephen thompson uh, one of the founders who sadly passed on he uh he approached me about about that at the opening uh, but they would come down pump our mash out take it up to their license facility uh, and finish it off but the problem is uh, we can only practically do about 100 gallons of mash at a time um, and that takes a, a small bit of equipment and their operation grew enough that they had to get rid of the still that was small enough to process our stuff so we're <laughs> in between on that one so congratulations to Kentucky Artisan, but yeah. We should give a shout out to Brooks Grain too, which has yes. donated the, the grain that we're using. Ideally, one day we'll grow our own and we'll be able to show what the heirloom varieties look like. We did try, mm -hmm. but the combination of a massive storm and deer pressure has made it difficult. But yeah. uh, we would like to do that. We do have an orchard. So uh, when that really gets in, in full, full flower, full fruit, uh, maybe we can actually be distilling things that we produce grow completely on the property. That'd be great to bring back early farming because 18th and 19th century farming techniques were uh, developed by uh, you know people in Kentucky, indigenous and settlers. And so to you know be able to to show the agricultural 
part of this as well is something that we've been working on. Yeah. And Brandy right. was a deep project. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, I was going to say, because people don't realize there were a lot of, uh, um, you know, distilleries back in the day, but a lot more than there are now, even though it feels like it. And like you were going to say, Brian, Brandy was a big thing because of all the orchards that were yes. around. <clears throat> that was one of the neatest things we did. Um, and Alan Bishop uh, led us through that process. And he's a Brandy distiller. That's the core of his kind of uh, distilling identity he's the master distiller of spirits of french lick uh but we we got the apples from um evans orchard in georgetown kentucky just asked for uh four bushels of seconds uh except red delicious and uh matt allen led us through mashing it just like it was done back then uh kentucky artisan took it and distilled it for us uh with the solids in just like it was done back then and it was 120 proof spirit and i, I just expected it to taste mostly like alcohol but as it rolled over your tongue it was the most beautiful pop of fruit flavor and brian we still have some of it i found it in the liquor cabinet the other really? day yes that's wonderful a little bit like this much gotcha still <laughs> have some. Uh, well, that's amazing uh, yeah, the bulk of it got misplaced. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and you know, not only is that the only thing you guys have going on there, you have some real cool events, some some fun ones coming up. I know you're partnering with the Bell of Louisville for Locust Grove on the River. Can you talk about how that partnership came together from two historical entities? Um, well, we're both uh, city-owned properties, so there's been um, you know a natural uh intention int intention to uh figure out ways to work together but it came through theater really i think because our um, museum theater director uh brandy lachey uh knows casey cole who is the uh, programmer on the bell in fact casey was one of the actresses who portrayed louisa in our unfolding the story tours so we have a strong bond with the university of louisville's african-american theater program and so Brandy and Casey between them cooked up the idea of, of a partnership. And we've already had one program, which was uh, a combination lecture and performance about the emancipation story of the enslaved community at Locust Grove who were freed by before the Civil War by a complicated legal process. And so it's its, its own Juneteenth kind of story before Juneteenth even happened. So that's already happened. And we have another event coming up that I uh, actually have a meeting right after this to start to pin down exactly what we're going to do. Well, that, that's really cool. And another fun event is the 18th century market fair. How much fun is that for y'all? Uh, it is a time machine. It is amazing. Uh, it's a partnership with military reenactor groups who do revolutionary war, not civil war, revolutionary war and vendors and performers, and Brian ran it for years, so Brian probably should extol how wonderful it is. Yeah, I, I, I had, I, I'd been a participant before um, I was in charge of that side from the staff. It started back in 2004, which I think was your first year there, Carol. Yes, the, its yeah. first year is my first year. Yeah, and I, I was at every one, and I just remember even before I was on staff, uh, wandering around one night and just kind of standing on the wall and looking over everything and thinking what a wonderful, magical thing it is that all these different people will come together and pool their resources to to make this world live again uh, for a weekend. And, they, and that's, that, that's really what it is like. Um, you know, all the stuff, you know, I think sometimes when people come through a reenactment like that, they think it's uh, just props that the site set up. But that's not what it is. It's everybody's little piece coming together uh, to make this world live. And for me, also, I love the fall and Halloween and all that and have it be right at that time of year when the when the leaves are changing, there's a crisp in the air. There's just something extra transporting about that. 
Yeah, the the first time we we had it, I walked out there early in the morning and the reenactors are all camped there. So there are 18th century style tents and they're cooking over open fires and there is a little haze of smoke in the air. And so you, you smell it, you almost taste it. Everything just takes you back. And uh, that's an experience you don't get very often. And the people are volunteers. They do this because they love it. They research the time period and the ways of cooking and the, the clothing. And it's it's a passion for them in a way that's really kind of inspiring. Well, it's, it's it's absolutely amazing to see, and and you just talking about it, you can almost you know t- takes you right there to to that time frame, and, and and you know when folks come out to visit, um, what can they expect out there? Because like you said, we've got the farm distillery project, you got other events, but like you said, there are other things that happen there uh, quite often. Well, it does. It varies by day and it varies by time of year. So I would recommend that people who are interested in coming take a look at our website and just see what intrigues them. And we just had a concert in our brand new, we have a fabulous new events pavilion. It's beautiful uh, so that we can do outdoor events even when it rains, which was a big consideration, but we just had um, two concerts. One was a chamber music concert where you could hear music of the time period uh, performed with instruments of the period. And that was lovely. We had a great crowd for that. And then just a few days later, we had the Commonwealth Brass Band and we had a concert of pops, of show tunes and popular music. We had an even bigger crowd for that. So, you know, we do things like that. Um, it took us literally uh, two years to replace Brian, but we now oh. have program director again who is working on uh, a variety of programs that we had had to drop for not having staff, like workshops, uh, craft workshops and so forth. And if you come on an ordinary Thursday, you can see our exhibit gallery and watch our film and have a self-guided tour of the grounds and a guided tour of the historic house. You can look at the outbuildings and the distillery. And uh, so that exists all Tuesday through Saturday. And uh, but we do have special programs different times of the year. We also do a used book sale, which has been an important source of revenue, but also gets people on the site. So even if they're not ready to take a tour or participate in a program, then they at least know how to drive to Locust Grove. So uh, so there's a whole variety of things. We have a summer camp going on right now, which, again, is a partnership with a theater company looking for a little theater company does a camp here and, uh, you know, depends on the day. And and I, I guess this will be for for Brian uh, to kind of wrap things up, uh, since you you you've been there, been part of so many different things. Uh, uh, why should folks come out and, and check it out? You know, I think because there's a little bit of something for everybody, even if you for whatever, whether you, whatever side of history you have an interest in, whether it's you know whether it's the Revolutionary War, whether it's uh, historic trades, whether it's architecture, uh, farming, you know there's there's a little bit of something for everybody uh, on there that you could kind of pick out and accentuate. Uh, even if you're not a history person at all, the 55 acres are absolutely gorgeous. Um, there are trails back in the woods um, that you know when I was trying to solve a problem or something, I would just kind of wander around back there to try to come up with a solution, you know. Uh, but you know even from that. Um, from that aspect, if it's a, uh, if it's a, um, you, you know, if, if you're a nature lover, you just want a pretty place to go away from the hustle and bustle of the city. Um, and then Melanator come- Meadow, we're still trying to get really established, but yeah. plants and grasses and flowers and uh, formal gardens. 
Well, from a volunteer standpoint as well, it's like Locust Grove has a vibrant community, you know, and that's one thing I've watched over the years is, is beyond the history of the place. It's actually a living, breathing, active community. It's very important to people now. Um, it was a support network for me. Well, it, it's an amazing place. Grove, it's people. <laughs> and it's people that can share stories that other folks may not always uh, realize that existed here uh, in Louisville and in Kentucky. And, and Carol and Brian, thank you for sharing that history with us. And and whether that was just the farm distillery project, which I know a lot of people uh, should, should check out to see the where the, everything kind of started for, for this industry that is is home here in Kentucky to just everything else that has happened there. Well, thank you for having us on. This has been a blast. Thank you. Find more from Hops and Spirits at hopspirits.com. Thanks, everybody. Bye.